0: Thank you for tuning in to listen to this week's sermon at Bethel Church. Every week, Pastor Jeremy Dean delivers a powerful message rooted in Scripture, a heart for the gospel, and a love for God and His church. We also hope you check out the Bethel Church podcast, which release on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. throughout the year. To learn more about Bethel Church, you can visit LovingBethel.com. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here's Pastor Jeremy Dean. Alright, For the last several weeks, we have been in the Gospel of John, but we're going to change things up a little bit this morning. So if you would, go to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we're going to be in, uh, in the shortest of the Gospels, uh, this week and next week with Easter. And we'll come back to our series on John uh, afterward. But Mark chapter 15 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. On this Palm Sunday, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And when he came, that's exactly what they, they, say, or they, they said and shouted before him, Hosanna, here comes the king of the Jews. And he rode in and they were laying palm branches in front of him to receive him into the city as a king. But by the end of that week, things had changed dramatically. This Friday coming is what we call Good Friday, and it was on that day we remember the crucifixion of Jesus, his death on the cross. And that's where we're going to really land this morning. But I, I think as we read through this passage, one of the things I want to kind of highlight, kind of walk us through this, is, is, is three different people. Three different people in this passage. And I think that there's, there's, those three people probably here in this room. There are people in this passage you're going to see who are skeptics or even really scoffers. They're the ones that are asking, did Jesus really die? And they ask it with a sense of not really believing. I don't really buy into this whole thing. I don't really buy into who Jesus is. And in fact, we'll see in the passage that the scoffers, those skeptics, were were mocking Jesus. But then there's also going to come a point where we recognize there's some who, who were seekers. And they're not necessarily asking the question, did Jesus really die? They're asking the question, did Jesus really die for me? Because there's a... A longing in their hearts for it to be true. There's a desire that, yeah, I really would really want somebody to love me that much. I would really want God to love me that much. But did he, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? And there comes a time in the passage where, where, where the people are, are waiting to see what will happen. And then there are those who are servants. You've got those who scoff and are skeptical, you've got those who are seeking, and then you've got those who believe, those who are servants. They're not asking the question, did Jesus really die? They're not asking the question, did Jesus really die for me? Because the one who serves the Lord knows that he did die, and that he did die for you. Before the servant, what it becomes then is, All right, Jesus did die for me, so now, what does that mean for me? And hopefully, as we go through this passage, we'll kind of touch on the answer. Maybe not in full. Maybe we won't won't completely answer everything that you've got questions about, but but hopefully we'll touch on what the Scripture says to answer those things. So you're in Mark chapter 15. Look at verse 21. And bear with me. I'm going to read more than I normally would, um, but we, we can't do any better than reading what the Scriptures actually say. So Mark 15, look at verse 21. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. That was unexpected. Verse 36, someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, the Roman soldier who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and and, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. In verse 42, When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for this incredible event in history. We thank you that you have revealed to us in these holy scriptures the truth about your plan of redemption, your desire to rescue and save those who are far from you. Each one of us in our sin deserves to be punished eternally outside of your presence. And yet you sent your son Jesus to die a criminal's death on a cross in our place. And we thank you for that. Help us this morning to understand and know the love that you have for us. Help us to understand Jesus. It's in your name we ask all these things. Amen. If you're taking notes, the big idea this morning is this, that Jesus bore the cross and calls you to bear yours. We're going to walk through this passage little by little and get the, get the gist of this, but, but, but there's a few things we want to notice about the cross of Christ that has very much to do with the cross he calls us to bear. And if you're curious about what I mean by that, to bear your cross, we're going to get to that toward the end. Because I think it has everything to do with the person who is a servant of Christ, a servant of Jesus. But we need to first look at the example that he gave. And the first thing we want to see is that the cross of Christ is a real historical event It actually took place in history. It is not just a fable. It is not just a legend. It is not just an allegory for us to read and learn a few good lessons. No, it is a real event that took place in history that really changed the course of history. In fact, we have the years. At one point, they decided to kind of number the years, and they all counted down to this time when Jesus was born and would be crucified. And now we're counting away from those, that time, that, that momentous occasion in history when Jesus died in our place and rose again. We're counting away to the, from that and anticipating his return. All of history is centrally and centered and focused in on aiming at The cross of Christ. It is a real historical event. It's so significant, it changes the course of a person's eternity. It's the real deal. And here's how we understand this. There's a few examples I want to give. One, Jesus gave several warnings. or He foretold his death and his resurrection three times to the disciples as he was getting ready and moving toward Jerusalem, getting ready for the cross. He told them three times, three different times, that he would be arrested. He would be betrayed, arrested. He would be tried. He would be crucified. And on the third day, he would rise again. Three times he tells them this, and they still quite, didn't quite really understand. And now here we are. In verse 21, and it's happening. It says, they compelled a the passerby Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross. In verse 24, it says, they crucified him and divided his garments among them. As you read through and you see the process that Jesus went through in his crucifixion, it, it really, for archaeologists and historians, it lines up with everything else that they had studied and we have found about the process of crucifixion. For the Romans, they were very skilled at this, and they were very detailed with this. The process of crucifixion usually went something like this, and Jesus endured these things as well. The victim who was crucified was flogged or scourged. They were beaten, and then they were scourged with a cat of nine tails, a whip that had multiple strands, and in those strands were tied rocks and bone and pieces of lead and things like that meant to mutilate flesh. They didn't just do that to Jesus, they did that to just about every criminal that was crucified. The Romans would then have that victim carry the crossbeam not the entire vertical and cross, but just the cross beam, up to the hill where the crucifixion would take place. What we see in verse 21 is that Jesus did not carry his own, but they pulled a man named Simon of Cyrene out from among the crowd, and Simon carried this cross beam for Jesus. It was t- typical for the Roman soldiers to lead, there was about four of them that were responsible for the crucifixion, and they would lead the procession and lead the victims up to the, to the hillside where they would be crucified. And usually one of those Roman soldiers carried a sign that had the sentence or the conviction, uh, the crime of the, of the victim on that sign so the people watching would know why this man is being crucified. And on that sign... For Jesus was written the inscription, the King of the Jews. That was his crime. The, 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 in crucifixion, the victims' arms would eventually be nailed or tied to the cross. In Jesus' case, they were nailed to this cross beam. Their feet were nailed to the vertical beam, forcing the knees to bend one way. So you couldn't stiffen. You had to put strength, you had to use your strength to lift up to get a breath as you hung there. They were lifted up and they hung there for hours. Sometimes in history it says that some, they, they could last for days until their bodies would succumb to their injuries. Usually death came by. Asphyxiation, they, they suffocated. Sometimes infection and things would set in because of the open wounds. Soldiers would often break their legs to hasten death. It's a horrible, horrible means of execution. And what we see here. In the the narratives of the New Testament, in Scripture, in Matthew, and Mark, and in Luke, and even John, we see the New Testament writers staying true to the historical means of crucifixion. They didn't veer away. They didn't hide the bloodiness. They didn't hide the things that were humiliating. They let the details come out. They spoke the truth. The New Testament did not veer away from what we know in history to be the process. They didn't try to hide anything. There, but, the, you know, Scripture is the, the, the best evidence that the crucifixion was a real historical event. Why? Because we know that Scripture is inerrant, means that it has no error, there's no mistakes in it what we have in scripture is the truth of god's word and being that it is god's word who is holy and perfect and all knowing and there's no mistake he does not make mistakes we know that his word is true but there's also other evidence in addition to scripture of Jesus' crucifixion. I wanted to give you a few quotes. There's a guy named Ignatius. You don't, some of you might know who he is, some of you might not. He was the bishop of Antioch, a church in that region. He was a pupil of the apostle John. He lived in the first century AD, and he said this. This is an extra-biblical source. He said he was crucified and died under Pontius Pilate. He really, and not merely in appearance, was crucified and died in the sight of beings in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Another example, and this one not so friendly, Tacitus, the Roman historian from the first century, said this, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition, in other words, Christianity, repressed for a time, broke out again. And then another guy, Lucian, who was a Greek satirist, making a joke of things, spoke negatively against Jesus. He said, the Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. I share those quotes with you to simply say this. For the person who asked, did Jesus really die? We have ample evidence to show that he did. We have have Matthew, we have Mark, We have Luke. We have John. We have evidence outside of Scripture to show that Jesus really died. Even in Mark, we have a few other examples. We have eyewitness accounts. We had several people in the passage that we read. There were many who observed His crucifixion. They saw it with their own eyes. Those who passed by and mocked Jesus on the cross. In verse 29, it says, Those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads and mocking Him. The chief priests and scribes in verse 31, they also mocked him. The Roman soldiers who carried out his execution saw it. In fact, there was one in verse 39. When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. People saw it. And they weren't just, they weren't just the friendlies. In verses 40 and 41, there were women that that are named Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome, who saw it as well. Joseph of Arimathea, who saw it as well. They weren't all friendlies. The chief priests and scribes were the very ones who had him crucified, who had him convicted. And nowhere in Scripture do we find that they deny His death. Nowhere in the accounts do we see where they said, no, 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 Jesus didn't die. There's a time when they try to cover it up, cover up the resurrection, but they don't deny his death. Historians largely agree that Jesus was a real man who really lived, who really taught, who really said these things. And who really was crucified. And that's significant. And that's significant for a few reasons. One, because there are people who are skeptical. There are people who question. There are people who are not, they they don't want to accept it. Because to accept it means something changes. But if you're taking notes, here's the next thing I want you to see. The cross of Christ was hard and humiliating. It was real. And it was hard. Hard and humiliating. Take a look at verses, start with verse 27. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him reviled him also. This was not glamorous. Here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, in the most humiliating of circumstances. It was difficult. We talked about the process of the crucifixion and how hard it was. In fact, even even in the the Garden of Gethsemane, we read of Jesus' prayer where he prayed and he asked God to remove this cup from me. In other words, don't make me go through this, but not my will, but your will be done. He praised that prayer because he knew how hard it would be. He sweated those drops of blood because it was so stressful. If you... You have endured stress. If you feel like you have endured emotional heartbreak, it's nothing compared to what Jesus went through on the cross. Because on the cross, he took it all on himself. You imagine your worst moment. You imagine the thing that hurts you the most. You imagine that, that moment that was you, the guilt in your heart and in the pit in your stomach was so heavy. You imagine that moment, that time for you. Maybe it was a few weeks, maybe it was a few months, maybe that time for you, that dark time lasted for a few years, right? Maybe you're still walking through it, but imagine that for you and then compound that over every person who's ever felt that every single time throughout all of history and all of that weight was on his shoulders. That's hard, unimaginable, difficult. Every so often I get phone calls from people who are walking through tough stuff. And I'm so thankful that when they call I can tell them about Jesus. Because he's been there. Because he's endured it to a greater degree than you are than you're currently walking through and he's still he's there. A hand away, reaching out to you to help lead you and guide you through it. He is the one to trust in. It's hard. His cross was humiliating. The crucifixion was, it was set aside not just for Jesus but, but for criminals and for traitors and for the worst of the worst. Not, they, didn't even, they didn't normally crucify Roman citizens. There were a few exceptions, but most of the time they didn't crucify a Roman citizen because they didn't want a Roman citizen to walk through something so degrading and humiliating. It was for the worst of the worst. And here, Jesus, the Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, is hanging naked on a cross between criminals. And passerbys are walking by and they are mocking him. And it's interesting as you look at their mocking. When Jesus came, he came and he spoke truth and he prophesied about the kingdom of God. If you go back and you look at uh, chapter 14, verse 65, when Jesus had been arrested and he was being beaten. Chapter 14, verse 65, it says, Some began to spit on him, to cover his face, and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Here he is being spat upon, mocked. And, his, and in, his, in their mockery, they're mocking who he claimed to be. He claimed to come and preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. He prophesied. He spoke the word of God. And what they're telling him in, his, in their mockery is, if you really are a prophet, why don't you prophesy now? They mocked who he said he was. They mocked not only him being prophet but they also mocked him being priest. The idea of a priest is to be one who saves or intercedes on behalf of, right? A priest is someone who comes in between and fills in the gap. Jesus was our, is our savior, he is our great high priest. And in Mark chapter 15, when the passersby would come, when they walked by wagging their heads, they said, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. The, the, The high priests and scribes, they said, He saved others, but He cannot save himself. What kind of priest is this to promise the kingdom of God and to save others, but He can't even save himself? Look, He hangs on the cross. Their mockery, the humiliation, even they even mocked his kingship, his royal, his, his rule and his reign. The inscription in verse 26 they nailed, the Roman soldier carried in the procession, and they nailed it above his head on the cross for others to see why this man was being crucified simply said, the king of the Jews. When people walked by that, the chief priests and scribes, when they mocked, they didn't believe he was the king of the Jews. They mocked him for it can't even save himself, it says in verse 31. Verse 32, it says, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They didn't believe he could. They didn't believe he would. The Son of God, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, endured that difficult and hard cross and walked through all of that humiliation. And you might wonder why. He did it for you. He did it because he loves you. He did it out of submission to the Holy Father who created you. Who knows you. He wants a relationship with you. And the only way for that to happen was for you and I to be forgiven. And you and I, we can't overcome our sin. We can't, we can't, Forgive ourselves. We can't do enough good things. We can't get it right enough. We needed someone to come and do it for us. And God sent his son to bear that cross for you. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God love that phrase, for the joy that was set before him. What do you think that is? Have you ever thought about that? Did Jesus die on the cross and rise again just so he could go back to heaven? Was the joy for Christ simply being in heaven? I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. I think the joy for Jesus that would come through the cross was that you and I would be with him. You are his joy. That's a beautiful thing. That he endured the cross, despising its shame. To return to the glory that he had with the Father. And to know that he's made a way for you and I to be forgiven and experience that too. So if you're sitting here and you're seeking and you're wondering, did Jesus really die for me? He did all of that for you. That's pretty powerful. But the cross of Christ also demonstrates the power of God. In 1 Corinthians, I want to I share this with you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There's power in the cross of Christ. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Go back to Mark 15. Let's see what happened. I told you to kind of watch the people a little bit through this. You've got the scoffers and the skeptics. You've got those who are seeking. And here's where the seeking kind of, kind of came in to me. It was where I saw it. Look at verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, Jesus was put on the cross at nine in the morning. The sixth hour, it's about noon. It's in the middle of the day. And when the sixth hour had come, about noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's about three o'clock. So imagine at noon on that day, and it's dark, something is happening. Put yourself in their shoes. You're standing in the crowd and you're watching this spectacle take place and you're hearing the mockery and you're seeing all of this and it's 12 in the middle of the afternoon and it's dark. And it's not dark as the cloud just passes over with the sun for for a time. It's dark for three hours. Something's happening. Look at verse 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament. Here's where the seeking comes in. All of a sudden, they realize something's happening. We want to see what's going to happen next. Verse 36, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Something incredible happened. The power of God was on display. And it wasn't just, don't don't get me wrong, this was not just an allegory. This was not just some legend that a writer wrote down as a good story for us to read and be entertained. It was nothing like that. This was a real historical event. It got dark at noon. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes Psalm chapter 22. And in that moment, the reason he cries out is because on him were the whole sins of the whole world. The weight of that, the guilt of that, the shame of that. And God in his holiness and in his perfection turned his back on his son in that moment and forsook him because all of our sin was weighing on Jesus. It was a dark moment. And the people took notice. The ones who were mocking before got quiet. And they wanted to see, wait, maybe Elijah will come and rescue him. Give him something to drink. Let's hear what he has to say. And they gave him some vinegar. But Jesus gave up his spirit and breathed his last. And at that moment... The Temple that was in the curtain the, 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 the temple that was in the, the curtain that was in the temple, separating the most holy of places that 's where the presence of God was, where the Ark of the covenant was, where god 's holy presence would dwell with the people of God and he would be their God, and they would be his people and they had they had limited access to that throughout the years over the centuries because of his holiness and their sin, and that that veil that that curtain separated our imperfection us as imperfect people from a holy 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 god and when jesus died on the cross that curtain was split in two symbolizing the the entrance and the access that we now have to a holy 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 god because of the sacrifice christ made for us see the power of the cross was that jesus took the punishment for all of our sin. In Isaiah chapter 53, you're familiar with these verses, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Put that in another way. He took your place. He took my place. The cross of Christ is powerful because it was God himself who said, I'm going to die Jeremy's death. Think about that for a minute. Did Jesus really die for you? Did he take those nails for you? Was he beaten for you? He took the punishment for all of our sin. Not because he ever did anything wrong, not because he deserved it, not because he made mistakes, not because he didn't have a better way. None of that. He did it because he loves you. He endured it all for you. Just like we sang in that psalm beautifully just a few moments ago. He was punished for our transgression. He paid for it all. Everything in your past, every mistake that you've made, every rebellious thought that you've had, every anger you've had at God, everything you've done that was disobedient to Him, all of those things, He took on Him on that cross to satisfy the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. God poured it out on Him so He wouldn't have to pour it out on you. And he paid for it all. The power of the cross is this, that Jesus paid for our sins in full. I mean, think about it this way. You can. We're using a cross and, and, and criminal language, right? So our record has been expunged. It's erased. It no longer counts your sin against you. When you submit that resume for heaven, you don't have to list any of that stuff you said or looked at and all that and all those kind of things, right? Because Jesus has already cleared the way. If you think about it in terms of debt and money, our sin is really a a debt we cannot pay. It's an insurmountable debt. We owe too much, and we might think we can chip away, but chipping away is not going to do any good. But Jesus paid for it in full. And don't take my word for it. Take Scripture. It says in Colossians, I love this, Colossians 2.14 says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it where? To the cross. Did Jesus really die for you? Oh, man, yeah. Yes, he did. The power of the cross defeats the enemy. I love this. This centurion, this Roman soldier, he's not a Jew. He's been believing in these Roman gods and Jupiter and all these other things. We name planets after them now, right? He's been believing all of this kind of stuff. He's, he, he worships Caesar, hails Caesar, all those kind of things. And he's over in charge of a hundred different Roman soldiers. He's got responsibilities and accountabilities and all these kind of things. He, is not a, he doesn't believe in the Old Testament. He probably doesn't even know what the Old Testament says. He's just doing his job but he sees it. He sees the power of God at work in this real historical event. And in verse 39, this, this, this Gentile Roman executioner says, truly this man was the son of God. I believe he believed. I believe that was a moment of salvation and faith For that Roman centurion. Because he confessed. That Jesus is the son of God. And see the power of the cross. Is the power of God. To overcome the lies. Against us. The lies the world wants to tell us. The enemies that come against us. Satan and and, and demons and others. In a world that we cannot see. He God. Has demonstrated his power. By defeating all of that on the cross. And so, yes, he took the punishment of your sin. He also paid the price for your sin. But he's also overcome the power of the enemy in your life. In Colossians 2.15, that very next verse, he says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Look, the world, the enemy, the pain, the suffering, the temptations, you name it. Those do not have power over those who belong to Jesus Christ because Jesus has overcome. Amen? It's the power of the cross. Did Jesus really die? Absolutely. Did he really die for you? Yes, he did. Because he loves you. He endured all of this for the joy of what lies next. That's a relationship with you for eternity. But notice this, the cross of Christ is the example we're called to follow. If you're here this morning and and you're you're scoffing at this and you're skeptical of these things, I hope that I've kind of laid out some things to help you see and understand the truth, not only just from scripture, but, but from a history that we have to support this. If you're here, though, and you're seeking the answer to the deepest longings of your heart, that hope and that grace and that peace and that love and that joy and all of those things, it's found in the cross of Christ. But church, believer, follower of Christ, there's something else He says to us. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. go backwards one book Matthew comes right before Mark Matthew was a another gospel writer Matthew chapter 16 I want you to look at verse 24 and the verses prior to it In the verses prior to it Jesus had told them this is the third time that he said that he would be arrested and crucified and rise again and he's talking to his disciples those who are following him closely and then peter one of his disciples one of his closest friends just kind of calls out and says never I will never let this happen right and He stands up for Jesus. We're not going to let this happen. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Some pretty harsh words for Peter in that moment. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross of Christ is the example we're to follow. The cross of Christ was a real deal. And your cross is too. The cross of Christ was hard and humiliating. Exposed. Mockery. Ridicule. Seemed that Jesus was on the losing side of things. Because the rest of the world and the crowd weren't buying in. And in those moments, the disciples were pretty quiet. so is your cross. It's hard. It's humiliating. It may mean that sometimes you feel like you're standing alone. Sometimes when you bear your cross it feels like everyone else is against you, no one's with you. Seems like you're the only one that would speak the truth. It may bring shame. It may bring humiliation. And it may be difficult, but look, Jesus says, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up this burden, this suffering, this challenge. We don't like to think about that. In our lives, we're constantly, and I am too, I'm right here with everybody, constantly looking for comfort and ease and rest all those things but jesus calls us to take up our cross to follow his example to deny ourselves and put him first that even when it means it's uncomfortable and unpopular i'm going to stand with jesus and i'm going to speak of jesus and i'm going to point others to jesus even if it makes no one else is standing with me. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, do that. The cross of Christ is the example that we're to follow. I'll leave it with this. In Galatians 2.20, Paul put it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, taking up our cross is a call to die. It's a call to die to self. It's a call to die to sin. It's a call to die to the worldly pleasures of this life. Jesus even said, What good does it do to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Let me say this. On the other side of the cross is joy. On the other side of the cross is a goodness and a peace and a hope and a strength and a power that is unrivaled. This morning I'm going to ask Christy to come and she's going to play. And the idea this morning I think from what we've seen is not only is the cross of Christ real and it's hard and it's the power of God at work that he bore his cross, and he calls us to bear ours as we submit to him and we follow him. The question is, what is he speaking to you? How will you respond? If you're sitting there and you're that skeptic and you're that scoffer, you're like, yeah, I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy into those things, man. I would just encourage you to seek the truth. Seek the scriptures. Seek creation. Seek the world around you. Seek what historians and others have said and find what the truth is. I believe that if you seek it with your whole heart, you'll find it. And the truth always leads back to God. But if you're here, if you're a seeker this morning and you're simply asking that question, did he really die for me? Oh yeah, he did. He died for you. There's no greater demonstration of God's love than that Jesus died on the cross to save you from sin and to forgive you of all your iniquities. And if you're a servant this morning, be reminded of the sacrifice he made for you, what you've been forgiven of, but also be reminded of the call that he makes on our lives. That it's no longer about me, I've been crucified with Christ. The life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave me himself for me it's about him it's about what he wants to do it's about submitting to the will of god in your life not just your own will however god leads you to respond this morning i encourage you to do so you can pray with a neighbor near you you can come forward and pray you can come talk with me pray with me i'll be glad to do that but in these few moments take time and respond let's pray